Good morning again and welcome to our uh, worship service this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you uh, open them? Uh, we are in the first book of John, the first letter of John, chapter 1. So last week we looked at the introduction. John talks about uh, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at, what we have touched. The word of life, Jesus, he is the word of life who came in the flesh. And that, of course, connects us with John chapter 1, that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It also connects us with Genesis chapter 1, which says that God spoke the universe into being. How? Well, through Jesus, who is the word of God. In Colossians, Paul says that everything that is made is created by him through him and for him. At the center of it all is Jesus, you know. Jesus is what holds the universe together and is by him and through him and for his glory that everything was made. Now John, after he introduces to us who Jesus is really, the word of life, him we proclaim. He then goes on and, and declares, and this is the message. So if you have your Bibles, would you please open them to 1 John? Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him, and that's Jesus, of course, and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. I pray that the Lord will open our hearts and minds that we can understand this. Um, I was struggling a little bit just to, I feel a little bit disjointed this morning in trying to communicate because there's so much in this passage, I'm not really sure how, how do we bring it all together. But may the Lord just uh, give grace here so that we can really draw, um, dig deeper into this text. So John begins this message and says, so Jesus came. We saw him, we perceived him, we know him, we touched him. And here's the message that he brought to us. God is light. God is light. And there's absolutely no darkness in him whatsoever. We just read some passages that all have to do with light. Some very important passages. And, and it's very interesting that actually... John is very, very distinct and very, very, compared to some of the other Gospels, which also say that we are sons of the light, you know, and we are to let our light shine before people. The passage we read in Matthew chapter 5, so let your light shine before people, so that they, that they see your good works and praise your Father in heaven, as if the light was in us. But the light is not that it originates in us because the light is a person, and the light is God himself, and it came in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus and John is very, very 
very, this is very important to him that he says Jesus is the light of the world. And he says twice so in the book of John in chapter 8 after he talks to the um, woman who had committed adultery. He says, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you will not walk in darkness, but walk in the light. John chapter 9, the, the blind man also, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. And if you believe in me, you have light, you have understanding, you have spiritual knowledge. You know who God is. But this is not something that originates in us. And John makes it very clear that the light is outside of us, but we receive it as a gift. The light is in us because Jesus is in us. The light is Jesus. And so we receive Jesus. Now to John, uh, that was a physical experience actually. He's not just spiritualizing here, although this is a spiritual truth, of course, that the light is in us through Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And he's not talking about a physical light, but to him it was actually was a physical light. Because if you remember, there was this moment when Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. The three were with him. And at that moment, just for a brief moment in history, Jesus revealed himself to them. For who he truly is. He unveiled himself. And for this moment in time. They saw Jesus for who he was. Because his face became bright as the sun. He shone as the sun shines. And his clothes were radiant with light. He, his whole body, his whole being was radiant. Because what happened at that moment is that Jesus actually became his true self. Whereas he had hidden himself in many ways in the flesh. So the word came in the flesh. And so he hid himself in our humanity, in his humanity. But for that moment in time, they saw him for who he is, the son of God. The truly the son of God. And so Jesus, and, and so John proclaims him, this is the message. This is the message. God is light. I saw it. I saw the light. And I know the light. There's absolutely no darkness in him. Let me just... Um, uh, give you an idea here for those of us who have children, little children at home. I did this this week. Uh, actually, at Kids Quest on Wednesday nights, we, I was teaching about uh, the transfiguration, you know, Jesus appearing as the Son of God. And there was this little uh, science project, and you may want to try that at home. Uh, take a, a bottle of water, about half full, and add about, not, not quite to the top, I add some hydrogen peroxide to it. It looks like water. And show this to the children. They say, what's so special about this bottle? Nothing. You know, it's just a bottle. Water. Well, then take a highlighter and pull out the highlight bit. You can actually pull it out and put it into the water and shake it around a little bit. And it will absorb the fluorescent part of the highlighter, I guess, whatever it's called. Uh, so it'll, it'll sort of start to glow a little bit. And then put that, it's better if you do it at night, put that on your flashlight on your phone on the light. And it'll radiate. You know, it's beautiful. So we're all sitting here like, look at this. This is pretty. <laughs> so that's Jesus, you know. He had hidden himself, but truly this is who he is. He is the light of the world. Just a little bit of an object lesson you may want to try uh, with your children. So God is light and in him there is no darkness. Darkness is the opposite of light. So if God is love, there's hate. If God is good, there's evil. But God, there's absolutely no darkness 
in him. Now, this is an important concept. One of the things I want to point out to you this morning, that the Bible teaches very clearly that there is no dualism. There's no dualism. Because many people believe that God is both good and bad. That is not a biblical concept. That's an Eastern concept. That's a concept we draw from like from Eastern religions like in uh, Buddhism or Hinduism. And you're probably familiar with the symbol of yin and yang, right? You know yin and yang is a Chinese symbol, which is a circle with a wave through it. Half of it is, is, is white. The other half is, is black. In the black is a, is a white center and in the uh, white is a black center. The message is basically good and evil coexist and they balance each other. And we sort of need both. Okay, in good there's also evil, in evil there's also good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches God is light, there is no darkness. In him, which of course brings up the question, well, where did darkness come from then? But before we go there, it's just very important for us to understand that this dualism is not biblical teaching. And so for all of you Mandalorians out there, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not to the Lord of Rings, I'm into the Mandalorian, you know, uh, or the Star Wars uh, fans here. I mean, um, I, I, I love the Star Wars too, you know, it's, 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 it's just fascinating, uh, just movie. Uh, but there's not much truth to it, to be honest, you know. Now, first of all, um, there's no aliens out there, I believe, okay? Because there, there's no evidence in Scripture or in, in life that there's aliens. It's, it makes for good stories. But the Bible tells us that we are created in His image. Male and female, He created us in His image. And I don't think there's all these Baba and whatever kind of creatures out there who... Um, who supposedly display the glory of God. I don't, I don't think so. so. But that's, that's not what I'm trying to say, actually. What I'm trying to say is that Star Wars uh, is not based on Christianity or Christian biblical principles. It's based on Hinduism or Buddhism because there's the force. And the force is what? The force is both good and evil. So the Jedis tap into the good side of the force, you know, and so they gain their strength, their power from the force, which is good. But then the Sith, on the other hand, who are also Jedi, but then they become wicked because they tap into the, uh, the evil part of the force. God is not dualistic. God is not both good and evil. God is only, only good. God is only love. God is only light. So we have to realize we cannot think in a dualistic sense or we cannot have this, and John speaks more about this, this dichotomy in life. Like another dichotomy that's very common even amongst Christians is that we make a distinction between um, the physical and the spiritual. And I think we've talked about this many times before, but let me just repeat myself here. Um, we make this distinction as if, if the, the physical is bad, but the spiritual is good. The Bible does not make this distinction because we're created into the image of, in the image of God, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. As a whole being, we're created in the image of God. So he doesn't make that distinction. Now, Yoda does. Okay, so Yoda does. When he talks to Luke Skywalker, he says, Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You know? So he looks at us. 
our physical, our beings, you know, and tells them, you just got to tap into your lo- in your, the light inside of you. So luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Meaning, the spirit is good, the body is bad. Why is that important? Because ultimately, what you believe, your worldview will determine how you live. And John speaks more into this in just a minute. But we, we cannot make this, we have to start thinking as the Bible thinks. As the Bible, we cannot have this dualistic worldview where we separate the body from the spirit. Imagine a house, okay, with two stories. Some people live like that. The house represents you, and then the lower floor is where you live in, okay? The upper floor is like where you want to be kind of thing, you know? But everything, that's the spiritual part. Everything is pure and good up there, but down here is the real life, you know? We make this distinction between reality and how we are ought to be. The Bible doesn't make that distinction, I believe. The Bible just tells us who we are in Christ Jesus, who God is, and who we are. And so God is light, and we have this light in us because Jesus, who is the light of the world. So um, as we move on, then, so the first point is for us to understand this message that John proclaims, that God is light. There's no darkness. There's no dualism in God. There's also no dichotomy. Dichotomy, which means like both are possible. Because he then goes on, and I mentioned this earlier, worldview is important because it determines how you live, ultimately. So what you believe will lead to your actions. So how, what we believe is very important because it's not disconnected from who you are, ultimately. And so John then goes on and says, if we claim to have fellowship with him. So if we claim, I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior, yet walk in the darkness. You're lying. Okay? That's a disconnect. That's what I mean, dichotomy basically, saying on the spiritual level you believe, you, 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 you confess Jesus, but when it comes to your walk, the Christian walk, there's just a disconnect there. You're walking in darkness. No, if the light is there, walk in the light. Doesn't mean we're perfect because later on, and we'll get to that, he says, if we claim to be without sin. So then he balances this out. It doesn't mean you're sinless. John chapter 2, verse 9, uh, he says that if, if someone is born again, he cannot sin anymore. It doesn't mean that we're not able to sin. It just basically means our desire is that we walk in the truth. Our desire as believers is that we obey, that we, that we submit, that we love Him. And so therefore, out of it grows this, this, this walking in the light. Although, and we'll get to that, although we still sin and hurt other people. He goes on in verse 7, if you walk in the light as He is in the light, we have what? Fellowship. Not just fellowship. But first he talks about fellowship with Him. Knowing God, and then he says, fellowship with one another. Here, amongst brothers and sisters, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want to just say a few things to, I don't know if you spoke in fellowship last week, but hopefully, I don't, won't repeat you. you. Um, fellowship, uh, the Greek word is koinonia. You probably have heard that before, koinonia which is taken from the root word koinos. It's very interesting. The root word koinos in the Greek language means common or profane. It can even be profane. 
which in itself is interesting because it's, it, it, it actually doesn't mean the fellowship of the holy ones, the perfected ones. It means the fellowship of the sinners. It's not, we, have, we don't have fellowship because we're so perfect. perfect. So we are perfect, now we can have fellowship. No, it says actually you, you are sinners in need of fellowship, who need each other. That's what the truth, what I gained from this, you know, that we're, we're not just perfect people. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, this argument made, and I've heard it several times. I can think of some specific people who have said this to me, who said, um, I'm a believer, I trust in Jesus, uh, he's my Lord and Savior, but I don't go to church. Because the church is filled with hypocrites. Have you ever heard that statement? Yeah, the church is filled with all sinners. Yeah, absolutely. You're right, okay? The church is filled with hypocrites. I actually agree with that because I'm one, okay? We're all hypocrites on some levels. We're all imperfect on some level, okay? But what, the, what, you, what, what these persons are trying to say is like, I can be a better Christian if I don't have fellowship with others, I can just stay at home, uh, believe in Jesus, and watch whoever I want to watch on TV. And that makes me a good Christian. The Bible actually says, no, you can't. Okay? Because it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, what do we do? We walk in the light, not in darkness. And if we walk in the light, what, what is the result of walking in the light? Fellowship. Fellowship is a biblical command in many ways. It's not an option. We need fellowship, excuse me, precisely because we are sinners. It's not the fellowship of the holy, it's the fellowship of the common. It's the fellowship of those who know that they need Jesus, you know. It's not the fellowship of the perfect. And that, that's also a place where we can experience just compassion and grace. Um. I don't want to make a political statement, but let me, allow me just to say one thing to what happened on January 6th. Uh, what happened was wrong. But my question is this. Are we at a point where we can extend grace to people who sin? Are we at a point when people do... Uh, what I imagine, I actually know some who went there. They did not go into the capital. But let's say they were there and they went into the capital. And later on they say, man, that was stupid. Why in the world did I do this? Now, I know some people don't think it was stupid, but really it was stupid. So say you come to this realization, why did I do this? My question is this, is there room for us not just to condemn what they did, but to also not condemn them? Now, I think we are actually condemning people now. And if there's a place where people should be welcome and, re and receive because they are sinners, it's the church. Because we are the fellowship of common. We're the fellowship of the profane. We can extend grace. Look at this, how John then goes on and says, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? He purifies us from all sins. And he's not talking only about personal sins. You know, your sins, the sins that you hide. No one knows about this forgiveness for those sins. Yes, but now he's talking in the context of fellowship. The blood of Jesus purifies us from our sins because you will sin against your brother, against your sister. You will be sinned against by your brother and your sister. And can the church be a place 
where fellowship is practiced to the point where we extend love and grace to people who are fallen just like you are. I think this is such a beautiful encouragement that John gives us um, that we actually need fellowship precisely because we are fallen. Precisely because we have sinned, we need each other. We need Jesus as well. Another thing I just want to mention to this is um, the importance of fellowship when it comes to belonging. Um, What do you think is more important, to believe or to belong? What is more important, believe or belong? They're both important. When it comes to evangelism, you know, how do we reach people? I think there's another dichotomy that I see a lot in the body of Christ. We have this dichotomy between evangelism and discipleship. We make a distinction. Evangelism is you lead people to Jesus. Oh, now you're a believer. Now I can disciple you. I think discipleship begins from the moment you're born. We are to disciple people from the moment they're born. There's this step where they make their trust in Jesus. But evangelism... It's not just praying a prayer. It's evangelism drawing people to Christ Jesus. And um, sometimes people need to belong before they believe. I don't know your personal story. Um, if you believe first, you know, maybe you had the dramatic conversion experience. It's like out of nowhere you came to know Christ and then I need to look for a church. You know, some of us are that way. And then we join a church, we have fellowship, we belong. But I think for many of us, the story is reversed also for me in that I belonged first before I believed. So I went to youth group when I was 16 years old and joined, and I I was part of all the activities, Bible, reading, study, church, whatever. And I thought I was a Christian. It took the Lord four years to convince me, no, you're not, you know, until I finally believed. Belong before you believe. I think fellowship allows us to do this, to give grace to people, to invite them, just just taste and see the goodness of the Lord. The fellowship of the believers, you know, the fellowship of the profane. It's one thing we tried to practice a lot in Thailand uh, because it was such a huge step for for Thai people to, to come to know Jesus, you know, to put their faith in Jesus. It was just humongous. I mean, talk about how hard it is here. It's much more difficult in other parts of the world. We don't even know. You're talking about God. They have no clue what you're talking about. They don't have a concept of God. You're starting, if you're starting here, you're starting way back there trying to explain to them who God is. And then you're encouraging them to believe in Jesus. Sometimes what they needed is to just belong. So we would try to connect them with other believers. Just so they can experience, oh, that's what Christians are, you know. And then in the context of knowing believers, in the context of experiencing fellowship or body life, um, praying that they would, God would do a miracle in their lives, you know, and open their eyes and their hearts so they can see the light of the gospel. So, um, this much to fellowship. Um, I already mentioned to you, so there's, there's two, actually there's three times that John says, if we claim. So the first one, verse six, if we claim to have fellowship, yet walk in darkness, okay? And he balances this out in verse 8 where he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, it doesn't mean that we're sinless. As I already mentioned, it doesn't mean that we're sinless. So John, on the other hand, says there's two ways you can fall off the horse. One side is that you say... Um, 
you have this dichotomy in you that you say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't live it out. On the other hand, that you uh, claim that you are without sin, that you're perfect. And the Bible says neither one is true because we are still sinners. And we, if we do so, we deceive ourselves. Now, deception is the power of Satan. And he can deceive you either way. It doesn't matter. As long as he can deceive us, he will deceive us. That's what he does. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that the dragon leads the whole world astray and he deceives the inhabitants of the earth. That's what he does. Satan deceives. That's another interesting word, actually. Um, the word is, is, is plano, from which we get the word planet in the English language. So the word planet is from the Greek word plano, which means to, to stray, to go astray or to stray, which means to deceive. Um, because when they, the angels, when they looked in the sky, in the night sky, what did they see? They saw the stars. Now, the stars are fixed. They don't move. They're just there. They're always the same. The star constellations, they are there. They're always the same. You can depend on them, okay? Now, I know that through the centuries, they do actually move. But within your lifetime, you will not observe any physical change in the stars. The constellations are permanent. They're there, okay? Planets, on the other hand, what do they do? Well, they stray, literally. So they call them planets, you know, because they stray, they move. So what does deceive mean? It means that you've, you have no foundation, basically. You can be deceived many ways. As long as you have no foundation, you're deceived. And for us, the only foundation that we have is the Word of God. The only truth, the only truth as it revealed to us is the Word of God. Anything else is deception. Anything else apart from what is revealed to us supernaturally by the Word of God through Jesus Christ is deception. It doesn't matter what you believe ultimately. It's wrong. It still is wrong. Only the truth of the Word of God is what we have. I believe our nation is in dire straits because we have we are going astray. We're straying from the foundation. What held us together was not because we're such great people and the people who love freedom. Well, we do love freedom, of course, but it's basically what, what held us together is, is a foundation. That's the word of God kept us together. We're moving away from this and now we're straying. John then goes on and says, verse 9, if we confess our sins, it's a beautiful verse, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's some verses uh, in Scripture that the older you get, the more precious they become, you know. That's one of them. Uh, because I, my experience has been personally that the older I get, the more, the longer I'm a believer, the more I know I'm a sinner as well, in need of redemption. Because Jesus becomes more precious to you. What Jesus has done for you. When I first believed, I, I cling to forgiveness. You know, I cling that Jesus forgave me my sins. But I know, now I know, 35 years later, I am a sinner. And without him, I would be nothing. You know, it's, these verses become so precious to us. The promise of the forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you a couple stories here um, that maybe try to communicate this to us. Uh, so, 
was a German pastor, and he was part of the confessing church during the war. And, and later on, in the 50s or 60s, I can't remember when, uh, his mother was dying. And so the family gathered together uh, to celebrate her life as she was dying. And so the children came in, and they were just praising her, you know, because she's been a, a, a godly woman, raised her, her, her family, and they were just praising her and, and telling her what a marvelous job she had done and what a great woman she had been. And so at the end of this time, of their sharing time, they asked her, Mother, uh, why don't we sing a song together? What would you like, what kind of hymn would you like us to sing? And they thought she would pick something like, you know, uh, talking about the glory of God or salvation or heaven or whatever. And here's the song that she chose. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the song she wanted, the last song she wanted to sing. Because she understood something, it doesn't change. The forgiveness of God is the same it was yesterday as it will be tomorrow. And ultimately, we are all dependent on that grace of God that forgives us our sins as a place, as a fountain filled with blood. The blood of Jesus and those who, who plunge themselves under that, under that fountain lose their stains, lose their guilt. Another story is a story of a pastor who went to see uh, also a woman who was dying. She was dying uh, from, from a certain illness. And so she, he went to pray for her um, and ask her this question. If you had a chance to ask one thing of God, and I'll pray for that for you now. What is it? And he thought she would ask, like, pray for healing, you know? Pray for healing. So that's, that's what he thought she would say. But here's what she said, that I could hear one more time. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Just one more time. Hear that word. Because ultimately, what is most precious to us, you know? It's the blood of Jesus that forgives us our sins. It doesn't change. The grace of God. God is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. You know, what a beautiful promise. And if you've never experienced that promise, if you've never experienced the grace of God here, the forgiveness of God, there's something still coming for you. I pray that the Lord will open your eyes so that you can get to the point of knowing who Jesus is and plunge underneath that flood in that fountain. So John says we confess our sins. We need to confess our sins. It's... Uh, it's the word confessing, actually, this is the only time in Scripture where the word is used in context of sin. Okay? No, nowhere else, as, as I know, is, as I said, confess your sins in other parts. It normally means you confess Jesus. Okay? You confess Jesus. You confess who He is. It means to, um, to agree, to come to the same conclusion, to profess. Later, John says, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son also has the Father. So that's the kind of word. But here it says what? Confess your sins. Meaning agree with God. Profess who you truly are. A sinner. And if we do, He forgives us our sins. What a beautiful, joyful message that we have forgiveness of sins. Let me... Uh, summarize my message this morning uh, with one more picture. I'd like to communicate what I tried to share with you this morning. Um, it's, it's a picture that was, uh, I found. Um, it's taken from a, a, a castle in Karlsruhe, Germany. Uh, it, that castle in Karlsruhe sits 
in the middle of, of the city center, and the, the roads sort of emanate from the castle outward into the city. In the, in the castle, at the center of the castle is a tower, and it's an octagon. So eight sides to the castle. At the top of that, uh, of that uh, um, tower, now I don't know if this, that was pre-war, if it's still there today. I wasn't able to travel there and check it out, but I read about it. <clears throat> So they said there, there's, a, there's a room, it's called a, like a, a, a mirror room, and you go into the room, every side has a mirror on it. So as you, as you enter into this room, you see yourself from all sides. You step in, I mean, you're surrounded by yourself, basically. You see yourself from the top, from the bottom, from the left, from the right, from behind. You just see yourself. What they were trying to communicate, this is how God sees you. He knows you cannot hide from him. He's there. But then the architect did a marvelous work because if you step in the middle of the, of the room, the center of the room, it all disappears. It's gone. So the, the, the mirrors are aligned in such a way that they miss each other right at that point. So in, in a dead spot. And they were trying to communicate, this is the forgiveness of Jesus. If you step into Jesus, into the center of it all, know who he is, it's gone. Okay, don't, you're gone, your sins are forgiven, your sins are gone. I thought it's a beautiful picture that just tells us who Jesus is. This is the message, God is light. He is light. In him there's no darkness. Praise God for his word. Let's pray.